is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. And a very good afternoon. We're broadcasting here from Grafton from the Livestock Selling Centre. We thought we'd, put, uh, we'd talk about the flood situation here. Probably not as bad as other parts of the North Coast, but also uh, the impact that's had on the beef industry as well, which was uh, uh, a big negative for about 12 months. We'll hear about that shortly. And uh, also just, just generally about the region, and uh, we'll also be uh, touching base with uh, Farmers for Climate Action having a field day. They're looking at uh, some of those flood issues, climate issues that are changing. So a, p- a pretty packed program, Kim Honan. Oh, look, yeah, it's very much surf and turf today. We're going to get the white, beach side of and things. And white spot as well because of that uh, incursion of white spot. Oh, I know, yes. Uh, more on that a little bit later in the program and to look at uh, how the, the Clarence River and the fishermen are recovering from the floods yeah, a year ago this week. Which was a massive issue. Of course, we did the broadcast about a year ago from the McLean River and a lot of the fishermen there saying that they were, they'd never seen it so bad and it was they were they would take a long time to recover from that as well. Yeah, from so. the Clarence River. And speaking yep. of McLean, we're going to have a six 16-year-old student from the McLean High School show cattle team. The team are heading down to Sydney for the very first time and they're taking some Speckle Park, which is a feature breed at this year's show. Very popular. Very popular these days. Yes, indeed. But uh, first up, uh, we're here at the Grafton Regional Livestock Selling Centre and uh, we're joined now by uh, Mitch Donovan, who's just come from the sale ring. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. G'day. How are you? Very well. So, first of all, we'll talk about the sale in a sec, but uh, pretty lively and seems pretty, you know, people seem to be bidding in a lively fashion. But I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec, as I say. But it's uh, uh, obviously the floods were a big issue here, and it was like a, a, an oasis, uh, this, this livestock selling centre for many to bring stock because uh, they had nowhere else to go. Yeah, it, it certainly was, and I, and I don't remember the exact date, but it almost be 12 months ago. We were, we were here with, I think we could have had um, up to 4,000 head in the yards and um, at that one time, uh, people just needing to, to move the stock, and it's a, it's a bit of a refuge, and it's a very important thing too to have. And Look, I think producers are lucky to have the sales to do that, but um, it's, it's crazy to think um, 12 months on, we're looking for a bit of rain. Yeah, I know, that's right. I was hearing to some of the, some of the producers saying that earlier. Uh, and so the, the numbers, but the numbers here for the refuge came from quite a large area. Oh, generally all the Clarence Valley, you know, obviously all the all the lower river country. Um, that's where most of them would have come from. But um, yeah, it certainly uh, certainly was a big number. And cattle were here for a couple of weeks too, so it was a pretty big task to get them get them fed and also you know try and find paddocks for stock to go to high ground. And how's the recovery been going? Oh, look, I'd say it's quite good. You know. Um, the Clarence Valley flood, although you know it, it does a lot of damage and um, it, it is a it's a big problem when it happens. It's nothing like you know the Northern Rivers was with Lismore and things like that. It, it was just a it was a normal Clarence River flood. The the thing that was different with the flood this time, I think, is the wet weather lingered on for so long. Um, generally, the flood comes and goes. You get a bit of ryegrass planted and and things are okay. But the wet weather just continued on and on and on, really right into the spring and. And cattle got quite poor as as time went on. The cattle they were really tucked up, and we had a lot of poor cattle around. Probably more poor cattle in August and September than what we did um, yeah, earlier on. That's for sure. And talking about the sale here today, um, uh, I suppose we have seen a big drop in pricing. Are we seeing that today? Yeah, definitely. There's been a fair correction. Um, 
and, and you know it's been on the on the lips of vendors and buyers' tongues for the for quite a while in the other last few weeks. But it seems to be uh, there's a there's a traffic jam at the top end uh, with with feedlots and things like that. And I guess that's got a filter down through. Processes still they still don't have the labour. Processes still I, I believe that's the problem there. You know to, I feel I feel pretty positive about the the future of the beef. You know like um, there's some there's some good things happening there, but. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bright future, but just at the moment, a lot of cattle hitting the market. Wiener sales are on, and, and we're sort of one of the first ones to kick it off, and, you know, they'll, they'll be on all week, and there'll be thousands of cars on the market, so we really need some rain. And like you said, you're the first Wiener sale for the Northern Rivers. Do you think the prices today will set the pace for the Wiener sales in the next few months? Oh, not necessarily. I think it'll still depend on the feedlot market and things like that to really, to really. Um, th- that's where it's dictated from, I believe. Anyway, it's, it's at, it starts at the top and it's got to filter down through. So, um, but look, supply and demand's always the, that's what it's all based on. And when there's plenty of supply and and the demand's quite low, and obviously that's due to weather at the moment. Um, I think um, you know we need some rain and west of the divide to really kick it along. Do people talk about China opening up as well as a positive or maybe the Brazil BSE case where they're seeing that uh, they've now got a ban on Brazilian beef for, I think, for at least three months? Look, that'd be, um, I guess, that'd, that'd certainly um, be beneficial to us and, and it'd be nice to think that might happen, unfortunately for them. But, um, yeah, look, I don't know. I sort of, I'm not going to read too much into that just yet and I think it might take a bit more time to, to really work that out. Mm. In early days with China too, there's been no sort of softening of the trade war. It's just talk at the moment. That's right, yeah, it doesn't seem to be any, any real action there. So hopefully they can get it sorted and um, I believe the new financial year, you know, generally the numbers die down then and, and that, that's when we might see, a, you know, maybe a, maybe a rise, but, you know, I, I can only ever go on a gut feeling. Yeah, and what top prices paid today? What are we seeing? Oh, uh, look, it's actually surprising. Um, you know, it's probably back in, the, in two weeks, it's back 50 cents, you know, I would say, in places. Um, the, the surprising thing today, the crossbred cattle, we had a lot of good Eurocross steers, um, you know, 200-odd kilos making $5, 20 and 30 and the, and the Angus calves couldn't get that today. Um, the, the weight in the Angus calves could have been part of the reason, but there was, there was some very comparative sales in, in weight and the uh, the good Euro Cross and Simmental Cross cattle actually came out on top today, so that was um, that's a bit of a change, and I guess that might be a uh, might be the Queensland competition we're getting here. I would say, yeah. Mm, okay, yeah, that's interesting you say that because it's all, you know it's yeah it's always but it's always been that question as to you know who's gonna who's gonna be uh, at the the head of the sale, and uh, the Angus have been up there for a, li- a long time, but there is some there's some competition as you say now. Yeah, that's right. Look, there's, a, there's always competition. Everyone's got their wings clipped on what they can spend. But, um, look, we've got a much bigger yarding here today too, 2,100 head. That's, that's big for Grafton. But um, I think a lot of uh, producers were a bit nervous on the, on the weather. And, um, you know, that, the old thought of four years ago, 2019, the feeding cattle and that sort of thing, that's still in their memory and they don't want to go through that. So they're probably going a little bit earlier than normal maybe. But they've still got grass. I mean, there's plenty of grass around. There is. Our season's quite good. Um, a bit of runoff would be nice, you know. Uh, we haven't had a good runoff where, where I'm at. I am anyway since October. But um, if you go up the Upper Clarence, the, the country's really good. Cattle are doing really good. Um, but it's probably just not so much the, the season here that's got them scared. It's probably more the market, I would say. Okay. Well, uh, we'll let you get back to it because there's plenty... Plenty more to sell. Uh, thanks for joining us on the program today, Mitch. No worries. Pleasure. Thank you. It's, it's coming up to uh, 12 minutes past 12. The New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. 
Kim Honan, you uh, headed out uh, the, the the other big issue in this region has been white spot, and uh, of course uh, people have been nervously watching. Uh, the white spot disease and the spread of it and concerns yeah. about it. Uh, and we've seen another case or more cases of it That's right. in the last couple of days. Yeah, there's been a third outbreak on a, a prawn farm at Palmer's Island uh, near Yamber in the Clarence Valley. And uh, the control order for the Clarence uh, River estuary has been extended by another four weeks. It's due to end now on the 29th of March. So I dropped by the, the Clarence River Fishermen's Cooperative and caught up with Damien Moran to find out what sort of impact it was having on the commercial fishing sector? It's very concerning for our local fishermen um, and also here at the co-op as well because they, um, they're not working at the moment um, so the downturn for them financially um, is very hard um, of course here the throughput has stopped You know, we, uh, we can only move prawn locally um, and it's quite a big business for us here on that side of things so they haven't found a, a, a positive case in the river um, it's been contained in the ponds, in the farm prawn. So testing at the moment, that's what they're doing um, in the river, ocean, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, and we're working with DPI on that. So, mm. Although the DPI have confirmed that with their sampling of a small number of prawns in the estuary, they have found traces of white spot DNA. Yeah. How concerning is that? Oh, look, it's it's very concerning, um, but we hold on to hope that it's, it is the traces found in the DNA um, of a very small amount. Obviously, it's a very very big river, so um, they're testing again as we speak. Um, but yeah, it can be very concerning for fishers around the area and also ourselves. So. Mm. And this control order that the DPI has put on the industry. What are the specific restrictions for fishermen? So they can still work, um, but must be sold uh, locally in our local area. The control order is for green only as well. Um, so it's not one thing I do want to point out though. It's not harmful for humans in a in a cooked cooked scenario, um, nor green. Um, but the as far as a bait market and the prawn itself um, farms, it can be very very detriment to them. So. Um, that's that's where we are at the moment. Yeah. Is there usually a lot of movement of green product around? For us, yes. Uh, with the school prawns, depending on the season, every season is different. Of course, we've had the floods, we've we've had COVID, we've had the, all we've just been through. You know, in the last three years, so um, there's been seasons where we've had massive years, um, and we do ship them all around Australia, um, and. This year, the season had been fairly hit and miss, so at the moment, but yeah, it's a miss at the moment because no one's working, so yeah. yeah. And what sort of supply are we talking about here? How many prawns have been restricted from moving? Very hard to say. Um, we could say on, on an average at the moment, we could be averaging a tonne a day, uh, which are down on previous, previous numbers. Um, but like I said, though, the, the difference in the seasons that we're having at the moment, you know, there's a lot of factors with our river with floods and freshes and rain and dry weather, um, which I've come to know now. Um, being in nearly 10 years, you get to know those different things. So, yeah. Mm. So by the time the four weeks is up, that's uh, at least six weeks of um, restricted access. It, can you put a, a dollar figure on the impact to industry yet? Couldn't really put a dollar figure on it. Um, 
it, it is uh, again like I said the fishermen are struggling um, and you know therefore the throughput's not coming through the co-op so it's hard times for us as well um, but we'll battle through it we will get through it um, but again working with DPI and biosecurity and that sort of thing working closely with them and staying in touch and hopefully this control order will be lifted and and we can get back to into it mm. but a lot of fishermen cook their product on the boats now don't they correct all cooked on the boat not cooked here um, but we'll only cook certain size product so if it's a decent prawn good hard prawn fairly big they will cook it if it's too small it gets kept green so, yeah yeah for bait oh uh, bait human consumption um, most of our market, or pretty much all our markets, all human consumption. We don't do any bait prawn here. So, with the with the smaller green prawns that you aren't able to move outside the region, how hard is it to offload that amount of prawn locally in within this control zone? It definitely wouldn't be able to do it. Hundred percent wouldn't. Anything that's outside of that, the smaller prawn, we would not be able to move. And 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 that's why our fishermen at the moment aren't working because the control order says that they can it's not stopping them from working it's just that we can only move what's caught in our local area so it, it makes it extremely hard yeah. yeah so how many fishermen would you say aren't working who aren't out on the water at the moment catching prawns i'd say we would have there would be 26 boats i'd say on on average um that that can work between lake Woolawaya and the river um who aren't working at the moment Gosh, that, that's a huge impact on the local industry. Yeah, it is, and and some of them only have the endorsements for prawning um, or trawling. Um, others have a couple of endorsements so they can catch other product, um, mesh for fish, that sort of stuff, but that also, it's a flow-on effect because they can go and catch that other fish as well as other fishermen, um, and that will bring the price down to that, of course. Um, it makes it harder to market those sort of things when we've got double the amount coming in when we usually don't so yeah there's a there's a flow-on effect mm. so. and well that control order is in place until the 29th of march we really don't know the future beyond that how concerned are fishermen that they may be kept off the, the water longer and in the lead up to one of your busiest periods of the year easter yep um yeah very concerned um at the moment, as I said, we're working with DPI and, and biosecurity very closely, um, daily, um, and keeping our fishermen up to date as best we can with what we know. Um, but yeah, could be very concerning down the track if, if the control order's kept on. Mm. Has there been any discussion with the state government? Has there been any discussion with the, the state government about assistance for fishermen affected and financial assistance? Um, has been mentioned, um, but we're working on that as we speak. So don't really know too much about that at this stage, um, but they're definitely talking about it, yes. If white spot were to become endemic in this area, in the estuary, could that potentially shut down the, the prawn industry here? Look, I suppose it would have the potential, yes. Um, definitely don't want to be thinking about that as at this stage. Um, as we said, it's you know it was only I mean, a small amount found in the DNA um, of a few prawns. So, um, uh, like I said, they're retesting at the moment. So, I'd hate to think we'd even get down that path. So, hmm. yeah. Do you think there should be a ban on the imports of uncooked prawns into Australia? Oh, look, it, it's 
we're we're in Australia and we have the best product. Um, we live on live on the east coast, and also we're very um, fortunate here to have some of the best seafood in the world, if not the best. Um, yeah, I'd like to think that you know, in some way, shape, or form, we could it'd be just Australian product everywhere. Mm. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Mm. Uh, were you concerned at all that that's how White Spot got into the country? Yeah, look, it's uh, everyone has their different opinions with that sort of things. I, I'm only going off biosecurity and DPI. Um, I couldn't tell you how it comes in. A lot of people have got different ideas, so we just again, whatever they're telling us and and whatever we need to do, we're doing here. And how long do you think it will be before the river fully recovers from last year's floods? I think we're getting close. Uh, we're getting very close. Obviously, we've had our dry periods now where. You know, we've we've gone from extreme rainfall, floods, freshes to really, really dry to needing rain. Um, so it's 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 getting close to getting back to where it was. Um, but Mother Nature's a different beast, so there's you know it changes can change on its head any time. So at this stage, I think we're getting very close, but the control order at the moment's hurting. So mm. yeah. so with the floods last year, how heavily impacted? were fish stocks in the system? Definitely impacted. Um, took us, like I say, I say we're recovering now, um, but did hurt the stocks because of how big the flood was um, and how big our river system is. Um, what out, what went out through the mouth here, um, yeah, it was extreme. So, you know, it hurt the ocean guys as well, the amount of water and, and different things that were floating out that out the river. and. Um, that where they work in close and that sort of stuff. So definitely affected slowly on the recover now. Damien Moran is with the Clarence River Fishermen's Cooperative and he was talking flood recovery and also that white spot disease as well that they're worried about in the industry. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's 23 past 12. This week on Landline, flooding along the Darling River. Three years ago we were in a solid drought so we had no water in the river. <laughs> exactly opposite. But, you know, that's, that's living on the land. And the Tassie wool grower doing it her way. I kind of have given up on caring about what people think. That's Landline, Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. The Country Hours here broadcasting from Grafton from the sale yards and uh, we're talking floods, we're talking the season, we're talking pricing, we're talking recovery, the whole range of issues uh, and earlier on, coming back to uh, the sale yard issues, uh, earlier on I caught up with David Farrell who had to head off to head out to do something else and I asked him about uh, pricing and the season earlier. Now here today at Grafton I suppose it's... uh, this area wasn't hit as bad as others in terms of the flood, but you were involved in, you know, looking after livestock here at the yep. centre and things like that, and, and flood recovery generally. Certainly was, Mike. A lot of cattle came to the Grafton Sale Yards. It's from downriver, when I say downriver, likes of Almara, McLean, um, just to get out of the flood waters. Mm. And that was a, a, a big lot of numbers here you had to look after? Absolutely. I, the numbers are not too sure about how many there was, but well in the city of over a couple of thousand head at least. And you were saying that uh, the flood itself sort of led into an extremely wet season and that was more of a problem. The prolonged wet season last year going into winter was very hard on producers, especially in the Clarence Valley. A lot of cows done it, done it hard, weaners were very poor at, at times. Was that because of you know, no nutrition no, in the pasture? No, exactly, no nutrition in the grass. Grass looked good, but there was just nothing in it. Mm. 
And how long did that last for? Quite a while. Quite a while. Right now, the breed is upriver, whether it's drying out and the grass is hardened up. A lot of good weight in calves, and they're just they're starting to do really well now. So how long has that taken? About 12 months? 12 months. A bit over 12 months, really, sort of, yeah, yeah. So people have just sort of held on? They haven't needed to sell? They've had to sell um, and reduce their herd numbers. Um, so there has been uh, four sales. So that's probably running more cattle, less to the... Or making the cattle work to the paddock sort of thing. And I suppose there's still a rebuilding. There's still fences that need to be fixed and there's still, you know, yards that need to be fixed, roads need to be fixed. Absolutely. There's plenty of roads in the Clarence Valley that need fixing and there's still plenty of floodgates and, flood and fences that have been washed away that are still being put up, for sure. But you say that it, uh, not quite as bad, but still, you know, still, a, and, you know, the last thing people really want to see. Absolutely. Like, no, definitely not as bad as the Richmond or the Wilson. However, it, I tell you what, it was, it was, t- it was tough going, that's for sure. Mm. And looking at the sales, like uh, Wiener Sale on today, we've got a whole series of Wiener Sales happening. Yes. Um, what are you thinking about pricing? I mean, the prices have been down yep. the generally. Market, the market is down compared to what it was this time last year. It's always about supply and demand. Um, it, it seems to be levelling out. Um, maybe the prices were overcooked 12 months ago, six months ago, but um, it's still it's, the market seems to be rolling on quite nicely. And it's sheer volume of numbers around? Sheer volume, yes. I think the numbers are there. Um, as you know, annual turnoff for a lot of people on the, on the Clarence Valley and in the northern New South Wales. And internationally too, we're seeing like the US, you know, they're, they're doing better and there's more demand from China, things like that. Well, those international factors, obviously they make a huge difference because you know, our wieners normally go to the background, so you go to sort of the feedlot who then sell to other um, international markets, so that has a big effect on it, yes. Mm. All right, well, I'll let you get back to it. I know you're busy. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. That's David Farrell, who's a livestock agent with Farrell McCrowan, and uh, caught up with him earlier at the sale here. They've got a wiener sale themselves uh, on the 16th of March, so uh, busy time here at the sale yards. It's uh, coming up to 27 past 12. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Broadcasting today from the Grafton Regional Livestock Selling Centre in South Grafton. Earlier on in the week when we were broadcasting from the Norco Ice Cream Factory, we heard from Sally Ford from the Richmond River High Campus about how they were flooded during the catastrophic floods last year, but also the McLean High School was flooded and the show team had to move their cattle to a private property off-site. But uh, things are really looking up for the show cattle team. They're preparing to head to the Sydney Royal Easter Show and here at the Wiener Sales today is 16-year-old Georgie Lee from just out of McLean. Good afternoon, Georgie. Good afternoon. So you're pretty excited about heading down to the Royal Easter Show with your team of cattle? Yes, I am. Um, wasn't expecting to go this year, but when the teacher said it to us, we were all pretty excited about that. But um, yeah, it'd be great. So what are you taking down, a, a team of cattle and a team of students? Yeah, we're taking 10 of the t- students from the team, our senior kids, and um, about, I think it was 10 all up with the cattle. Um, it's a... Speckle Park feature show down there this year so we're taking down a few heifers and steers from Great Marlow and a few steers donated by Great Marlow, Speckle Park and a um, few Chalet Cross steers and Santa Cross steers um, donated by Yugobar. So um, yeah, good team going down and hopefully some good luck there too. What, what, is, sorry, what is it about the Speckle Park? I mean, why are they so popular, do you think? Well, I'm not entirely sure but... Um, but yeah, this this year's a feature show, and um, it'd be good for us to go, taking down a team of Speckle Park to you know be part of that and see how we go with them. 
And you were on the show circuit last year. You were at Casino Beef Week. Yes. Uh, how did you go across the different shows that you're at? We did well last year. Our, our team was really happy with how we went. Um, very successful in every show we went to. And, um, yeah, it was really... Really good year for us, and hopefully this year's going to be the same. So you'll be down in Sydney for a whole week? Yes, yep. And you're looking forward to getting around and seeing some of the other sectors performing? Yeah, it'd be very good to do that as well with the showing, to get a lot of like pointers from other studs as well to improve us kids and like, when we go to shows and how to prepare our cattle a bit more and you know, get them ready for their, um, their classes. And are, are you thinking about being in the beef game in the future for yourself? Um, yes and no. I'm not entirely sure yet, but it'd be great to stay in it. Yeah. In some capacity, rather. Yeah, yeah. And, Georgie, you're going to be competing in the state paraders competition at yes. Sydney Royal as well? Yes, I am. Very nerve-wracking, but fingers crossed I do well. What does that involve for you? Um, well, I... Last year at Grafton Show, I won Champion Parader. So then I qualified and I went to Bangalow. And um, that's when the select, I think it was about six people. And um, they got selected and then move on to Sydney and I'll happen to be one of them. Yeah, and you're here at the Wiener Sale with your dad who's yeah. selling some wieners today. Yeah. How's yeah. it going? Oh, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure if they've gone through or not. But he's got 24 wiener heifers there today. So hopefully they do well. Fantastic. Well, thanks for having a chat. We Thank pulled you in at the last minute. And congratulations <laughs> yeah. and good, good luck, luck at Sydney. Good luck in the Royal. Thank yeah, you. We might see you there when we're doing our broadcast from there. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. That is Georgie Lee from McLean, 16 years old, in year 11 at McLean High School and part of the show cattle team. Thank you. And it's time to go to some news headlines now. Adam Storey's ready. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. The Communications Minister has ruled out privatising Australia Post as the government launches a major review into its financial viability. Uh, the business is expected to run at a loss this year for the first time since 2015. Uh, and the government is looking at uh, changing the rules governing Australia Post, which uh, could allow it to move away from uh, delivering letters on a regular basis. And I'm thinking, given the only letters I get these days are bills, I'm, I'm, I'm up <laughs> for that. You just get them on the email, Adam. What's that? You just get the bills on the email. Oh, I'm too old school for that, man. <laughs> uh, allegations that Transport for New South Wales staff submitted timesheets for payments where no work was carried out are being investigated by the Independent Commission Against Corruption. A public inquiry will start on March the 20th and will investigate allegations a number of staff abused positions by helping contractors they knew tender for subcontracts. Um, over in Greece, the transport minister has resigned and a station master has been arrested following that train crash that's uh, killed at least 43 people. And Greece's Prime Minister says it appears the crash was mainly due to a tragic human error. And there's been a train crash in uh, Florida uh, with a train derailing carrying more than 113 litres of propane. And hazmat and fire crews are responding to the incident. It's in an industrial area south of Tampa. And that comes on top of the uh, derailment in Ohio, which has resulted in uh, hazardous material being uh, spilt in a township there. And uh, some royal news, of course, Michael. The uh, Duke and Duchess of Sussex have confirmed they've been asked to vacate their British base of Frogmore Cottage. Uh, but Buckingham, Buckingham Palace isn't coming on, commenting on reports that the, uh, the home has been offered to Prince Andrew. Um, you know, when you're playing second fiddle to him, you really need to check yourself, I think. Yes, how, far, how far down the uh, totem pole Absolutely. Can they slide? Yes. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, they'll be out in the back shed before they know it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're already California anyway, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not quite a back shed, but... <laughs> no, 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 that's yeah. right. All right, Adam, thanks for All that. All right, okay. Talk to you later. Adam's story there with the news headlines. Let's find out what's happening with the weather. Alenka Dumas at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Had a bit of rain up here on the coast overnight and this morning, and is that sort of moved through now? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, we did see, uh, we did have a southerly change uh, make its way along the coast, and with that change, it did bring some showers and thunderstorms, uh, particularly to that northeast corner and um, around uh, sort of Grafton Lismore area. Um, up till 9am this morning, we did have 40 millimetres fall at Lismore um, and sort of around the surrounding area, we saw uh, anywhere from 15 to about 35 millimetres um, and most of that fell uh, with thunderstorm activity. Um, now, those thunderstorms were still um, a little active earlier on today, but they have now uh, pushed a bit further northwards um, and they have eased. There are still some showers about um, and there is still the potential for the odd thunderstorm this afternoon, but certainly conditions are easing uh, about um, about that northeast and really about much of the state. And so what can we expect for the next few days? So the next few days we are expecting, uh, sort of, and, and whilst that southerly has moved through, uh, an inland trough is still present about the inland areas of New South Wales. Now we will see some more instability um, pushing its way from Queensland about that northern inland tomorrow. So we could still expect uh, the odd thunderstorm mostly during the afternoon tomorrow um, about uh, sort of that northwest inland, um, anywhere from around Burke uh, out to sort of Tenterfield and down south towards Cobar and Dubbo. Um, there's also the risk of the odd thunderstorm about the southern ranges uh, tomorrow. And other than that, we're looking at just the odd coastal shower um, over the next few days. Now, as we head into the weekend, uh, we will see that inland trough deepen. Um, it may bring uh, the odd uh, thunderstorm about uh, sort of the central west inland, so that thunderstorm area will extend a bit further southwards over the weekend. Um, but we're not expecting too much in terms of rainfall with uh, those thunderstorms. So if anything, we're looking at um, some more some dry lightning, which may, which at least increases the risk of um, some ignitions with uh, um, with new fires. Uh, with uh, sort of warmer and drier conditions expected. Um, so with those thunderstorms, are they going to have, and we might see some uh, big volumes of rain when they move through? No, no, we're expecting at this, well, uh, over the next few days, we're not expecting too much in terms of rainfall, particularly over the inland areas. Um, uh, if we do see some lightning and some thunderstorms forming, um, they are expected to be sort of more, uh, a bit more windy and gusty uh, with little rainfall expected. But as we head into sort of the new week next week, um, we will see a strong cold front sort of push through the southern states um, and then make its way across New South Wales during Monday and Tuesday. So ahead of that front, particularly Sunday and um, anywhere ahead of that front on Monday, uh, we're expecting hot uh, conditions um, to develop. So those it'll be sort of hot about inland areas on Sunday and those warm conditions or warm to hot conditions extend to the coastal parts during Monday and with that we are expecting with that uh, front we are expecting winds also to pick up um, so uh, with the hot conditions and the strong winds we're looking at uh, well, significant fire danger particularly across sort of the southern ranges and uh, southwest slopes uh, region where we could start to tip into the extreme uh, fire danger category by Monday so certainly is uh, 
starting to warm up again uh, towards the end of the weekend and into the new week. Uh, but a cool change uh, and fairly gusty change will make its way across the state uh, during Monday. Okay, Alenka, thanks for that. Thanks very much, Michael. It's coming up to uh, 23 minutes to one. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, uh, looking at looking at the land and rejuvenating the soil and uh, looking after the land and uh, also a bit of flood mitigation, those were some of the topics at a Farmers for Climate Action Field Day that's held at Almara, being held at Almara as we speak. And uh, earlier in the day, I caught up with uh, some of the organisers, Peter Lake, who's the grazier uh, property at Almara. He's hosting that uh, field day. And also Deanna Furnance uh, from Clarence Landcare. And I spoke to them about uh, flood and moving forward and also looking after the land. First of all, to you, Deanna, um, Farmers for Climate Action, why, why a field day and why now? Uh, the field days are a really good opportunity to share information. So we've got Christy coming to share some of the knowledge that she has and also getting the local farmers together connects them and um, gives us a feeling of solidarity that we're not the only farmers that are interested in climate action. How does that fit into the recent devastation we've seen from the flooding? Yeah, the floods came on the back of the fires and the drought and a year later we're still not really recovered from floods. We've still got fences down, the pastures are poor, you can see around here we're not really fully recovered. We'd like a couple good seasons with no natural disasters. And your place here, Peter, you know, how? what sort of devastation did you see or have you seen from those range of climate issues we've been talking about? Well... A degree of confusion. Uh, we farm flood country, so we're, you know, in inverted commas, we're prepared. But this flood was extraordinary and it came on the back of a long dry period. So for probably three years now, we, our cycles have been different to what we've come to expect. And this flood being so big just created an enormous havoc for us and made us realise that the systems that we normally use for coping or have used are no longer adequate. Were you also now worried about fires too? Fires directly here, no. And partly because, ironically, we don't have enough tree coverage on this place. It was way too heavily cleared back in the day. Mm. And what are you hoping that farmers will take away from today and the discussions today? Well, whatever you do to your soil to prepare for drought prepares you for flood as well. The soil bounces back quicker. So for us, it's about having healthy soils but also increasing the biodiversity on your property because the more different species you have on your property, the more things you'll have alive at whatever the natural disaster is. And is Landcare getting that message out there? Is, are you winning the war? It's a long battle. Landcare's been around for 30-odd years. Uh, we really rely on project funding. It's difficult to keep people just available to go out and help landholders, but what we want to be able to do is is guide landholders when they come to us, but also run these field events for people who might be just a little bit curious and want to know a little bit more. And also better soils and better ground cover. That means, you know, less runoff and potentially, you know, down the catchment, less flooding. Every city and town in Australia is downstream from farmland, except a few that are down from forestry, but it's the same issue. What we do on the land upstream is going to affect what goes through the town. So we've all got a vested interest in keeping water in the soil rather than running down the rivers. And Peter, what have you done at, this, at your place and, and what are you hoping to do and looking at in the, in the future? Well, well, for us, the, our normal coping mechanisms didn't 
just didn't stand the test from this last flood. So what we've done is we've put a lot more gravel when we finally could get trucks in here uh, around the areas where our cattle traverse heavily during the wet times and also on the areas where we feed cattle. Um, we're going to have to change our fodder storage arrangements. Typically, we make hay on the place and we keep that stored out in the weather, but it just can't last with repeated wet such as we had. So we're going to now have to spend some more money and build some better infrastructure. How long before you sort of get up to, like, full production? Oh, look, it's, that's still dependent upon uh, climate cycles. We've, we've restocked in terms of the, the, the steers that we run here. We, we don't breed cattle. We, we just buy uh, and grow out steers. We've got about 60 head on the place at the moment and we can carry... Uh, at least 80 through if we're having reasonable seasons using the fodder that we've stored so until we get to a position where we can actually grow crops again we may never be back to what we thought was normal and what about getting the message out there about climate action uh, and greenhouse gases why is that important for you it's always been important to me Uh, i came here to this property in 2007 and uh Ever since it was first possible to do so, I came from Queensland, I've been paying for green power. Uh, I believe that the future of our grandkids depends upon having a clean environment and it's not just farmers, it's people in general. And I think by modelling that behaviour, I'm making a, a small contribution to people's thought processes. And do you think that there there is a, a willingness for people to, to take on new ideas? Yeah, I think in Australia the um, climate change has been very politically polarising and we should ask ourselves why that is because in other countries that don't export coal and gas it hasn't been as pol- polarising as it has been here. But now, moving forward, we really need to focus on what we're going to do with the consequences and to stop any further emissions. Talking about that field day, the Farmers for Climate Action field day at Almara uh, Peter Lake is the grazier and also uh, Deanna Fernandes who's with Clarence Landcare. And there's an, actually another field day being held uh, tomorrow in the uh, Lismore region as well for Farmers for Climate Action. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour. It's uh, coming up to 17 minutes to one. Hello, I'm Sally Sahara. Join me for The World Today. Inflation, interest rate rises and worker shortages taking their toll. An increasing number of business owners fear they'll have to shut up shop. So are we heading for a recession? You'll hear the latest analysis from economists. And frozen out, Australia's icebreaker ship is out of action again, leaving scientists unable to reach Antarctica to carry out vital research. Those stories and more coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. And we're broadcasting here from the country out from the Grafton Livestock Selling Centre and uh, we've been talking about uh, floodplain management, we've been talking about the floods, we've been talking about, uh, we'll be talking about food shortly, one of my favourite topics, but uh, also, <laughs> also uh, first of all, uh, with the Sally Arts Committee as well, so Deborah Novak's across all of those issues and she joins us now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. And when I saw you standing there before, I went... Oh, who have they brought this chef in today? Because <laughs> you look like a chef. Got the white shirt on <laughs> the and white everything. Shirt and yeah. All those check pants. Don't have the chicken pants on, though. No, no. no. Um, and so the side yards here was a bit of an oasis, uh, and but went through a bit of a torrid time with the floods. You had, you had, you know, you, 
it had a lot of things on your on the plate here. That's correct, and uh, and it was really uh, only through my role as the chair of the uh, the sale yards here that you know, and I come to these meetings all the time and chair all these meetings, and it was the fact that they the um, the other people on the committee, the cattle producers, said, "Oh, we use this as a, an evacuation portal during the floods." And so when I inquired about that a little bit more, I was able to find out that you know they actually had triage between ten and twelve thousand head of cattle through here and uh, so what that does by even knowing that information is we actually have a master plan for the sale yards now and can we can actually include this as an integral part of uh, the resilience of this industry by including this as an evacuation centre for livestock during any natural disasters because they also use this um, not just during the floods but during the bushfires as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely necessary and we're seeing uh, those sorts of facilities are needed more and more unfortunately. Oh definitely yeah. definitely. And because there's a master plan in place now, does that mean council will be more likely to fund upgrades needed to the sale yards, such as a roof over? Exactly, exactly. So the sale yards are, are audited as well, and they're a, um, a welfare issue, so for human and livestock. And the roof is not just for livestock as well, it's for the staff who are working here and who are working outside as well. So it's really important that if we're going to use this as a uh, an evacuation portal for livestock during any natural disaster we have that roof in place as well because what the roof also does is it provides you know shelter from you know heat and rain but it also preserves the flooring as well which provides a better welfare um, position for the animals and talking about the floodplain management you're also involved in that the floodplain management committee um, so uh, 12 months ago, a real wake-up call for you there as well. Oh, definitely. So I'm also chair of that organisation and well. So they dovetail really well together. Mm. And uh, and I bring a lot of um, industry knowledge to that uh, particular committee too because, you know, I'm with the farmers all the time. And uh, so it's a really... The, the farmers have raised, actually for 20 years, uh, funding around flood mitigation um, throughout, you know, their on-farm land. And then we have urban uh, maintenance of you know uh, uh, drains as well so and it's interesting there is a matrix that they use to which determines you know where the money goes where but you know it's actually has fallen on deaf ears so now on the back of this major catastrophic flood I think is government everybody's finally taking notice we actually have you know more evidence than we need to say hey this needs fixing and needs fixing now even though this particular region here wasn't as badly hit as some others but you don't have to go very far away but it's interesting you say that because here in Grafton it didn't nowhere near felt Mm. the impact but Lower River actually felt the impact as on par with others because it was greater than the 1974 flood so you know there was a lot of uh, Yamba actually got its highest rainfall event ever recorded in its history so and and Yamba's actually one of the uh, places who has the longest recording of rainfall anywhere in Australia mm, well we certainly saw the cane farms on the Clarence Coppet and exactly. the prawn farms on uh, Farmers exactly, Island exactly exactly yeah. exactly and you know and with the fishing industry um, that's been knocked out for another three years now based on what happened down the river yeah and also uh we we heard about the torrid times that beef producers are having uh they've got grass it's not particularly nutritious 
I would imagine that the flood and the incessant rain has had an impact for lots of other food producers too. Oh, look, it has. And and I think what it does, though, when I look at our heritage industries, whether it be uh, our cattle, our timber, our uh, fishing uh, um, and beef, uh, you know... They've, it's been happening for 150 years, so they're, you know, like they are our heritage industries, and they adapt and they are resilient and they move with the times. And those industries are still here, so that's what is really exciting. They're adapting to you know new technology now. They adapted 100 years ago to mechanical technology. So you know, for me, um, our farming, our farming community are really at the at the forefront of being adapting to you know whatever circumstances are being thrown at them and you know it's a tough tough gig to be a farmer and I am in awe of what they do because they the the Clarence Valley actually is the largest food bowl, bowl on the northern rivers so we need to really get behind our farmers and Clarence Valley Council has uh, with um, providing a rural land strategy last year so we've actually got a policy in place now for the first time in um, the Clarence Valley Council's history that we actually have a policy in place that protects our farmers' right to farm. So it's really important that our farmers know, and we have had these conversations because there was a lot of community consultation done with our farmers about this policy, and we have 25 actions in that policy that they know that they've got a future here in the Clarence Valley, whether it's macadamias, tea tree, cattle, Goats. Yeah, there's um, a lot of really small producers, but high value producers oh, in this area. Oh, very much too. so. Yeah. Very much so. Very high value producers. And when you look at, you know, our tea tree, our mac- even though our macadamias are on their knees, there's got to be a, you know, a bit more. Uh, well, not a bit more. A lot more broader conversation about how do we do a value add to a lot of these industries, so that it's not the peaks and troughs of what's actually happening on farm. Deb, uh, always good to talk. Welcome back to the country hour. Thanks for that. Thank you. My pleasure, always. It's 10 minutes to one. Let's uh, go to another issue now, which is on the agenda. Ovine Yoni's disease, it causes chronic wastage in sheep, as we know. It's now actually considered endemic across New South Wales following its detection in the northern tablelands. Now, sheep producers are being urged to look out for this nasty bacterial infection. Local Land Services District Vect vet Meg Parsons explained the latest developments to Grace O'Day. Traditionally, we've always thought of Ovangoni's disease as a more southern New South Wales disease. Um, however, within the past sort of 12 months, we have diagnosed quite a number of infections across the Northern Tablelands region, and it's going to be more widespread than we currently know because it has such a long incubation period. So it takes at least two to three years to show up in flocks. Um, so we know if we're getting infection showing up now, within the next two to three years, we're going to see a really big spike in it as that infection starts showing itself. Yeah, and am I correct in saying that these most recent detection is what has made the disease endemic across the entire state? Yeah, because we've been having a few... Um, flocks with problems. It's not just one isolated flock in one area. That's what sort of makes it endemic. So it's a disease now that is going to be here all the time and it's something that um, we'll just have to sort of learn to live with. Gravesend sheep farmer Lorai Kirkby will be ramping up her farm's biosecurity in the wake of the news. As far as us, um, yeah, it's something that we need to probably put more emphasis on and 
as we're actually studs, so we're very careful of where we actually bring new introductions in. So uh, for us, we'll just actually up the ante again and really be aware of where we're bringing rams or, or use in from into our flock. Yeah, and do you think that the taking away of those, you know, safety risks and procedures they had previously has led to this spread of OJD across the state? Uh, I'm not totally sure about that. It's something probably probably a little bit of research into may hold the answer, but it, the, the, the rules were fairly limiting um, and in some way producers need to take their own risk and have their own responsibility. So it was very uh, not conducive to a lot of trade as well. So I suppose within New South Wales, it may have been only a matter of time that this would happen. Meanwhile, President of Wool Producers Australia and Victorian farmer Steve Harrison told Josh Becker that while it's surprising to see OJD spread in northern New South Wales, the vaccine is very effective. Yeah, look, it's not the end of the world by any stretch. Um, you know, um, a lot of producers, again, in the southern states um, where it is a problem have been vaccinating for you know anywhere between 10, 15 years at least. So um, I'd suggest um, to those growers up there, uh, um, you know, have a look at their situation, but certainly um, consider start to start back the vaccination program. And what's your experience been with vaccinating and, and what sort of a difference it makes? Uh, look, well, we weren't having many losses um, um, back in the day anyway, but um, certainly, um, you, yeah, you might get one, maybe one a year out of a flock of 10,000, but that's you know, we can um, brand that as um, OJD, I suppose, if, you know, again, if the vaccine didn't work or it wasn't um, administered um, properly. But, you know, in the scale of things, that's not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination, not at all. Yeah. Is there anything else around uh, advice you'd have for farmers around uh, if they're buying sheep in or um, wondering about the status of sheep that they're buying in the sale yards? Advice around that? Look, the sheep health statement's always a very good um, document that um, you know, on Auctions Plus, for instance, is um, mandated. Um, but, you know, again, just um, regulate your own situation and please, it's not the end of the world. Just vaccinate and, and keep on doing what you do and that's, you know, growing wool and meat for um, this great country. Steve Harrison at Wool Producers. It's time for markets. <laughs> First up, Wagga Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers eased to 42,000. The quality varied. There were good runs of heavy and extra heavy lambs. Trade weights were very mixed and there were plenty of light stores. Not all the usual buyers operated. Shorn lambs attracted the strongest competition while lambs with a dry skin were discounted. The market sold to a cheaper trend to process. Store lambs were firm to dearer, most 100 to 138. Trade weights were up to 10 cheaper, the 22 to 24 kilos, 165 to 193, 24 to 26, 183 to 206, and average 750 to 760 cents, the best out to 800. Heavy lambs, 26 to 30, 192 to 230. Extra heavies reached 282. Most of these range from 700 to 760 cents. Heavy hoggets, 101 to 171. The few mutton sold have been dearer. Trade sheep, 70 to 108. Heavy weights, firm, 100 to 134. There's still 10,000 to be sold. And this has been Graham Richard. Two Dubbo cattle now. 
Numbers were up by 560 for a yard at a 3850. It was a mixed yarding with some good runs of young cattle to suit the feeders and processors, along with good numbers of boss indicus yearlings. There were good numbers of ground heifers, limited numbers of ground steers, and there were some excellent runs of well finished heavyweight cows yarded. Young cattle of the trade were firm, with prime vealers selling to 420. Prime yearlings sold from 315 to 432. Feeder steers were firm to five cents dearer, while the feeder heifers were up to twenty cents cheaper. Feeder steers sold from three hundred to four fourteen, while the feeder heifers sold from two eighty six to three sixty four. Limited young cattle of the restockers were a little cheaper, with the young steers selling to four seventy two and the young heifers four hundred. Ground heifers were fourteen cents cheaper, while the ground steers were firm. Prime ground steers sold from three thirty six to three sixty six, while the prime ground heifers sold from three hundred eight to three forty nine. Secondary cows were five cents dearer, while the prime heavyweight cows were close to firm. Two and three score cows sold from 184 to 285, while the prime heavyweight cows sold from 280 to 321, to average 296. Heavy bulls sold to 270. This is David Monk reporting from Dubbo. Let's get a yes cattle now. Good afternoon. Numbers remained steady and the quality was very mixed. There were some good lines of well-finished yearlings and grown cattle to suit the trade, along with some bigger numbers of planer types. There was 130 cows with some outstanding lines to suit the processors. All the usual buyers were operating, selling to a firm to slightly dearer market. Trade yearling steers lifted 3, 340 to 398, and heifers to process 326 to 360. Feeder steers 330 to 410, with the medium weights back 4 and the heavy weights price unchanged. Feeder heifers eased a few cents 300 to 356. Weaner steers returning the paddock 280 to 465. The heifer portion 340 to 440. Heavy ground steers 6 better 300 to 355. Heavy ground heifers 285 to 335. There were several lines of ground heifers in store condition to the restockers, making from 232 to 330. 30, D2 cows to process firm, 200 to 237, heavy four score cows, five dearer, 262 to 296, the best heavyweight bull top the 300 cents per kilo. This is Dave Kent at Yas for MLA. Let's go to Armadale cattle now. Good afternoon. Numbers increased to 1,070 head. All categories represented. Yearlings well supplied. A fair to good quality penning that included some secondary cattle. Condition varied. A similar buying group were in attendance. Demand was weaker throughout. Trends significantly cheaper, bearing in mind the fortnightly sale. Vila heifers to restockers sold from 367 to 390 cents. A good supply of medium and heavyweight yearling steers saw medium weights sell from 300 to 362 cents. The heavyweights, 4 to 500 kilos 300 to 374 considerably cheaper medium and heavyweight yearling heifers attracted li- limited competition 276 to 324 not a lot of change on steers over 500 kilos to feed some breed related improvement 324 to 370 cents heavyweights to process 303 to 320 were up to 10 cents cheaper well finished grind heifers 260 to 322 firm to a shade cheaper cows were up to 7 cents cheaper with heavy three and four scores 229 to 273 cents a kilo. James Armitage for MLA in Armidale. And you're listening to the Country Hour. That's uh, where we say goodbye to the uh, North Coast for this range of outside broadcasts. It's coming up to one o'clock.